following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. Well, good morning. Uh, let's get started with prayer, and then we'll jump right into this. As we want to be prompt and get you out the door on time so you can have lunch. I don't want you fainting during the uh, afternoon plenary and have them blame me for having you dropping off. As, uh, as I remind my students often at seminary, I have no uh, apostolic powers. So if you fall asleep during my sermon and break your neck, you're on your own. I can't, can't raise you from the dead. So try to, try to hang in there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you and... What a a, a glorious privilege it is to sit under your word and hear it preached, explained, and we thank you for this morning already and how we've been fed. We pray now that as we come to consider uh, how to be prepared to be a a good discipler, we pray that you'd open up your word and us to to that word. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You've got your notes in front of you. And I'm going to actually stick to them. I usually wander, but I'm going to go through pretty quickly uh, and and leave plenty of time for Q&A, okay? Because uh, uh, it's important for you to think this through. You've got this personal preparation to counsel. Um, I assume, maybe improperly, but I assume you're here because you have that question. What makes me, as a man or woman, what makes me competent to counsel? Uh, How do I become uh, appropriately prepared to to do this ministry of discipleship? Um, It's not something that happens naturally, like you breathing. Now, most of you might have problems breathing if I keep mentioning that. I have asthma, so I'm always kind of aware of you know breathing and whether I'm wheezing or anything. But if you if you uh, you're a normal person, you just breathe and you don't think about it until you do some exercise and you huff and puff. Uh, counseling isn't something that you do just naturally; it's something that you have to think about. Counseling, without going into a long argument, uh, I hope you're convinced. Counseling is discipleship. What the world calls counseling, the Bible calls discipleship. What is it? You come to somebody for advice about something, and they give you the direction that you should go. Counselor at law, uh, financial counselor, uh, whatever. So they're trying to help you. But discipleship, in terms of discipleship, what we're trying to produce, think about that. What's the final product? A disciple, but what's the definition of a disciple biblically? A follower of Jesus Christ. So through the supernatural, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, a person is born again, and now you are a Christian, right? But you're not perfect. Anybody, if anyone's perfect here, you can leave now. But, I mean, you're not perfect. Why God did that, I'm going to ask. He probably will never tell me. Why didn't you sanctify us completely, right? It could be. Jesus was sinless. He lived in this sinful world. And though he had a body that could get weak and sick and, and die, uh, he was perfect. He didn't have to sin. So God, when he regenerated us, could have made us perfect all at once. And, uh, of course, he's wiser than I am, but that's the way I would have done it. You know, we could be still weak and fall apart and die, but, but at least we wouldn't sin and be a bad representative. Okay? So the whole purpose is, I'm a person who's been born again. I'm trying to help you become more like Jesus Christ. That's the finished product. That's the criterion of success. Not solving problems, not making a person feel better, not even helping them to experience the, the blessings of God. They're all secondary. The primary goal in the discipleship process is what? Having a person become like Jesus Christ. And I think the Bible gives us uh, the qualities and skills needed for this. In a summary of doctrine, at least the one that uh, I hang around with and others uh, 
If you're Baptist, you might hang around the 1689 Confession or whatever, but Westminster says this, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. So everything that we need, it won't tell you how to fix your car's engine, it won't tell you how to get the moon and back, but it will tell you how to become like Christ. So it's all there. So you, two, uh, introductory. Uh, you can learn from the Bible. I would hope that. You know, if you're at a counseling conference on biblical counseling, hopefully that should ring up the change. You can learn from the Bible. How do you learn from the Bible? First of all, principles of leadership are given and taught. That's what we're going to do today real quickly. Uh, you've got them in the pastoral position. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, the pastoral epistles, so-called because uh, the great uh, apostle Paul is writing this to two young church planters. You heard a guy give his testimony at the end of the plenary. A church planter, Titus and Timothy. Yeah. So that's the primary we're going to look at. Secondary, you can uh, have examples of leadership. Think about this, just particularly narrowly. Leadership in the family. Do you have examples of that in the Bible? Right? Good and bad examples. In fact, I would say you have more bad examples. Abraham, wonderful husband and father, right? Just tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me. Way to go, big guy. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, so uh, Abraham says that. Sarah. Then you have what? Eli. Good father? Eh. Samuel? He saw that. Eh. Eh. David, Solomon, you, you run it through. Okay? But you have got those positive and negative examples. Don't have time, uh, so we won't go through those. But first, uh, Corinthians chapter 10, and a lot of biblical counselors quote Jay and others, and there's no temptations overtaking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, will not allow you to tempt it beyond what you're able. So that's a that comes in the context, interestingly. Uh, verse 13 uh, of that chapter. How does it start out? Well, all the Israelites did what? They came out, they were all baptized into Moses through the sea, you know, and uh, they followed Christ into the wilderness, and the, they drank of the, the spiritual rock, which was, well, the rock was Christ. So now you know why uh, God said, strike the rock once, don't strike the second time. That was the incarnate son was there. And what's it say? These did this, and 23,000 fell in one day. These got bitten by serpents. Don't do that. So the scripture is full of positive and negative examples. The prime, of course, example is Christ. So we don't have time to look at that, but I'll, I'll leave that for your contemplation later. Thirdly, you have practical wisdom gained by living pastors in leadership, uh, others who do discipleship. My wife's counseled women for many years. You women can learn a lot from her, uh, a lot of stuff that you can't learn from me. Why? Because I don't counsel women, okay? You know, uh, there's two things that help me in terms of not getting sexually involved. I told Heath this this morning. It's helpful to be ugly. You know? I'm not the most handsome guy in the world, and that's okay. People don't come up. I've only been hit on once in 40-some years of ministry, and that was an ex-prostitute. You know, I could say she was blind, but she wasn't. But anyway, uh, that's the only time. Uh, or the second one, which is, I'm not going to spend time alone with you if you're a woman. It's just not going to do it. Why? Not because I don't trust you, I don't trust me. Remember what the old Quaker said, I think the whole world's a bit queer except thee and me. And I'm not sure about thee. Uh, I say, and I'm not sure about me. So um, you can learn some wisdom, okay? So two and three have to be back shelved today. So let's quickly, uh, some people call bicycle through the Bible. Okay, okay here, <clears throat> let me see, first of all, pastoral leadership is limited 
not everybody's going to be an ordained pastor. Okay? That includes men as well as women. When you go, uh, I was in uh, Uganda, and a man got up and asked me in a Q&A, and I have you all enjoy this. He says, with tears running down, he says, I have four wives. He says, I can never be a leader. You know? And, and I said to him, well, what do I say to a woman? She can't be a pastor either. Now, again, I don't know where you stand on that. I think the scripture's pretty clear. If a lady can be the husband of one wife, then I'll vote for her being an elder. <laughs> but, you know, unless you're transgendered or something, she can't fulfill that requirement, First Timothy. Yeah. Uh, having said that, however, if you go through these qualities that we're going to go through, none of them except teaching is a skill... They're all character traits. I want you to hold on to that. It's the, the most important thing. Now, there are skills, and we'll talk about that. But the most important thing about being a discipler, if I can say this, apart from Jesus Christ, is you. Are you Christ-like? You cannot help someone become like Jesus Christ if you're not like Jesus Christ. So you have to be born again, and there are stories, I won't tell you, of famous, at least in certain circles, pastors who got into the pastorate were not born again. Famous one I know was Abraham Kuyper. This is back in the early 1900s, late 1800s. He became a pastor, uh, and an older lady in his congregation listened to him preach and goes, I don't think this guy's born again. So she challenged him, and he actually was born again, became a great preacher, theologian, and actually became the prime minister of Holland, you know, the Netherlands, you know, in the early 1900s. But uh, the character traits are those that are not gender-specific. It's not like I have to be hospitable and women don't. It's not like I can be sober and you can go get drunk. Okay, uh, all those characteristics are Christ-like characteristics if we study them. So let's look at this. Let's first of all, you like Timothy uh, can learn from Paul. And let's just go real quickly. Um, first Timothy. Now again, Paul, you know the story of Timothy, younger guy. However, that is some people say twenty, some say thinks he's forty, depending on the culture. However, was young, okay, and Paul is writing this letter to him. He was a spiritual child, and so what do you, what, what qualifies you to disciple another man or woman? Let's go through these pastoral epistles and see. First of all, after his introduction there in verses um, 1 and 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. You know this, but I'll hammer it away. Without the grace and mercy and peace of God, you can't disciple anybody. It's impossible. You cannot disciple. You need the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. You've heard that, the English across the... Mercy, I don't know, I was playing with that one day. Uh, may the eternal riches of Christ be yours. Okay, if you want a quick one. Uh, peace, that was tougher. Uh, may the powerful Prince of Peace ease and erase all crushing experiences. Uh, these are the characteristics that you need to experience. God's mercy. I love you in spite of how sinful you are. I give you grace that you don't deserve and you didn't earn. And I'm going to give you peace. Peace, remember the whole armor of God. Without peace, you can't stand still. And if you can't stand still you're going to be knocked out, whether it's in boxing, martial arts, or in literal combat. And you can't fight unless somebody's stomping on your toes, you know. Uh, the peace of God is the basis. Now, the first thing, uh, verses uh, 3 down through 11. Now, there's Paul is warning against false teachers. Now, again, we don't want to be negative or ugly, but... One of the discipling things that you have to do is to teach people truth from error. 
Dr. Bakul was talking, you know, about some of the false things that are being taught in our culture today. People will come in and they have that. Uh, if I slightly disagree, he says the only sin that our culture is talking about is the homosexuality. Eh, historically, even before that, was drunkenness. Almost every American believes that drunkenness is alcoholism. And alcoholism is a disease and a disease. I mean, the same arguments that are being used for homosexuality were used 100 years ago for alcoholism, which is, okay, alcoholism is a disease, therefore drunkenness in the Bible can't be the same thing as, you know, alcoholism, because I'm not responsible for a disease. So that argument okay, is a false one, and there are even Christians, well-meaning Christians, who fall into it. You're going to have to gently. Now, how do you do that? That's a whole course. I don't have time. But there's always the indirect approach, like Nathan with David. King David, I have a, a case I'd like you to solve. Yes, what is it? Well, there's this really rich guy, lots of sheep, lots, I mean, lots of sheep. And I lost there was this little guy with a poor he had only one lamb I say a, a, a female lamb you know <laughs> and uh, I don't know whether the Holy Spirit gave that to him directly or what but he goes on like that and, and David gets done and listening goes what he deserves to die but he knows the law so he's got to restore fourfold you're the man okay? so whether it's the direct approach or indirect you have to confront. So there it is in your skill. You must confront doctrinal error using the law or the word lawfully. So that's a skill, but it's also a character, right? People won't listen to you, right? I mean, I think if Nathan had walked in and said, David, you're an adulterer and you're covered with murder and you're going down. Repent. Might have lost his head. You know, uh, history of Israel was, you know, Judah was not really cool. Remember Jesus said, sent some and they stoned one and killed the other and sent the other one out naked, bleeding. You know, that's what they did to the prophets. We shouldn't be surprised. I keep telling the guys at seminary, some of you are going to end up in jail just for preaching Romans. It's going to be a hate crime and you know, you're going to go to jail. So it's a skill. Okay, that's one of the things. Do you know the truth, and can you explain the truth to someone in a gentle, kind way? Okay, A lot of these will repeat. Uh, look at the 12 through 17. I thank him who gave me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, etc. Okay? Uh, you must trust in the grace of God. Everything that you say and do in that counseling room, or if it's a, you know, Chipotle or wherever you're trying to counsel someone informally or formally, it's got to be what? Seasoned with grace. Seasoned with grace. My kids say, I always know when dad's cooking. Why? Because the house smells of garlic. I, I don't think there's enough garlic in the world. Okay. I think that's one of one of the most wonderful things God ever created in this world was garlic. Okay, It's good for everything. Antibiotics, flavor, etc. So, um, everything you do has to be seasoned with, hey, we're in the presence of God. This God who loved me and died for me and saved me, that, that's who we're dealing with here. Uh, thirdly, you must fight under pressure. Look at verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies, etc., etc. Some have rejected this, including what? Hymenaeus and Alexander. Paul's a name dropper. It's interesting. Not a famous people. People he talks about are people who are failing. Okay, you're going to you're going to have people. And this, again, all these can be sermons on their own. If you're going to be counseling and doing biblical ministry, guess what? Someone's going to try to stab you in the back. Doctor Balcom was Bodie was exactly right. The early church. Oh, you know, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, that would liven up your, uh, you know, your worship service, right? Did you give that today? Yeah. Uh, Corinth, 
I'd follow. I would never tell a young guy to go, go, go to Corinth. Don't take that church. They couldn't even figure out whether the resurrection had happened or not. Uh, mess, okay? And so you're going to have uh, pressure not only from a, a culture that's going to say you are intolerant, but a church that's saying this. And it may even be. I have a friend, um, I guess it's public nature, Rich Gantz. Close friends, you should read his uh, autobiography, which is called uh, Psychobabble. You know um, how he was an unconverted Jew and got converted, lost his job, got kicked out of a mental institution for preaching Christ and having people converted. He's a preacher up in Canada now. He just went through the worst thing in his life and all these things. He had an associate who he had trained and he thought was going to take over that turned out to be a heretic. Doesn't believe the gospel anymore and almost split the congregation. So you're going to, you're going to have to be able to maintain godliness and teaching even when people um, turn on you. Uh, you must be a man or woman of prayer. That's a character issue. And I don't mean just a, a, a little formula prayer. I mean someone who gets in there and wrestles with God, like Jacob. Give me a blessing or I'll die. Man, I, I should be like him, right? And guess what? Jacob limped the rest of his life, right? But that limp was a mark. You have wrestled with God and prevailed. You don't want to pay a man or woman a prayer? Don't counsel. Seven sons of Sceva. Ring a bell. Remember those? Book of Acts. Jewish exorcists. In the name of Paul's Jesus. And what did the demon say? I know who Paul is. And I know who Jesus is. But who do... Oh, okay. I won't go there. Who are you? And they, how did they leave the house? Naked and bleeding. And if you want to be naked and bleeding, then I, I suggest to you, don't pray. Uh, Antiev went through it. His church got burnt down. His children almost got killed. Kaduna was right when you were up in Kaduna doing church planning there. This happens. It happens in the world. You have to be a man or woman of prayer. Why? You didn't die for sinners. You're not. Here's, here's a big one. This is worth coming to the conference to hear this. After 40 some years of ministry, I have discovered I am not the Holy Spirit. Does that shock you? I have never been able to convert someone and convince someone of the truth. All comes from prayer. Uh, you must lovingly confront error in personal relations. Uh, chapter 2, uh, all that stuff about women and who's teaching. didn't make Paul real popular. I've got relatives say like that. Well, how in the world can you get Romans 1 lined up with what the rest of the script and, and the rest of the scripture says about homosexuality? Oh, that's Paul. Oh, I get it. Saying <laughs> Jesus is the sweet, gentle savior, but Paul is what? The woman-hating, gay-bashing Pharisee. That's an old heresy that started around the 1900s and and it's been resurrected churches right here in San Diego County that are approving of same-sex marriages, okay? Um, you have to be able to, to lovingly confront this error in personal relationship. Now, I've, I've had wives of guys at seminary that are smarter than the husbands. They write better papers, and uh, humanly speaking, you say, well, that person would be qualified. No. They can't teach because this is what God says. Okay, so uh, you must have a godly character, and, and we could camp there a little longer. But look at chapter three. The saying is trustworthy: if anyone aspires to the office of overseer or bishop, so elder and bishop are, are co-equivalent. Um, sorry if you come from a hierarchical thing, but that, that's exegetically sound. Therefore, an overseer must be what above reproach, husband of one wife sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, 
not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There are the personal qualities that you need as a man or a woman to be a discipler of others. Now, while women can't be pastors, uh, Titus will tell us the older women need to train the younger women. Apparently, you know, it's hard to love your husband and your kids. I understand kids. No, (laughs) right? It's not something that just comes naturally. You have to be taught by someone who has gone through that. And so uh, that's the characteristics, a uh, list of deacons, uh, etc. So just quickly again going through this. Uh, and as you notice, it's character and skill, character and skill. Sometimes they blend together. So if you go through these pastoral epistles, think of that and say, what skill is Paul saying that Timothy needs or Titus needs? And what personal characteristic is he holding up uh, to do this? so that it works. So we'll just go through these so we can, again, have a lot of time for Q&A. So all this is to say, think it through. I need to be born again, first of all, and I need to be a maturing Christian. That really is the characteristic that has to be there. So uh, you must trust in the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the mystery of godliness. It's a mystery because no human could ever figure this out. And I can tell you that's true because uh, I've done graduate work in psychology and I've never had anyone uh, as a professional psychologist say, you know, the key to life is Jesus Christ. Doesn't happen at UCSD, doesn't happen at San Diego State, doesn't happen over the East Coast. There's nowhere in the world. Now there are people talk about spirituality, but it's a you know, mystical Eastern mysticism. It's not the hey, there's an eternal, tripersonal God who decided to make the world, plan history, and he's going to send his son into the world to die for his people. He's going to be raised from the dead, right to the right hand of the Father. He's going to rule the nations. He's going to come back on the clouds of glory, and there's going to be an eternal state of bliss for God's people and destruction for those that don't believe in him. Nobody holds to that. That's nonsense as far as the world is concerned. That's the mystery of godliness. So right in the midst of this pastoral epistle, Paul, again, Christ is the key. Then chapter 4, some will depart from the faith. We are in the last days, okay? Uh, The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. So again, you're going to have to sit there and tweak apart non-Christian thinking that comes into the church. Uh, Vody uh, mentioned self-esteem. But there's, but there's other stuff that creeps in to the church unaware. People are well-meaning, but that still doesn't help it. Uh, I hate to say this, I mean, there's Christians, but, but just think of the history of Israel, right? Judah and Israel. What was their problem? among others, syncretism. A little bit of the truth, Yahweh, and a little bit of what we got in Egypt or from the Canaanites. And God is constantly saying, don't do that. Do not combine those errors with the truth. So, you must confront demonic doctrine. That's a skill. Uh, I, you must be a disciplined man. Uh, Verses 6 through 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ, 
being trained in the words of faith and good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, holds promise for this present life, life to come. Okay? Just went to a, you know, a self-defense class uh, with one of our professors who's black belt. Okay? He says, honestly, he says, this won't save you. You'll probably die, but it might save your friends. You know? <laughs> These are all things to do if somebody confronts you with a gun. Okay? Training. <clears throat> Training. You can't be a good discipler if you're lazy. I just be, I'll be honest. I'll give you key examples. There was a, a man, he's with the, the Lord now, I hope. And uh, so, won't give you any identified thing. He was, how shall I say it, a little bit overweight. Well, to be honest, he was quite a bit overweight. <clears throat> and I had people tell me, I can't listen to pastor so-and-so. Why? Because his belly hangs over the pulpit. You know, and every time he took the word of God to preach the word of God, his belly said something else. And, uh, you know, his elders should have loved him enough to talk with him and say, hey, something has to happen here. But people were not willing to follow him because they didn't see an example of godliness that they could follow. So, you, 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 you must be a disciplined man. <clears throat> Do you read and pray regularly? Do you pray regularly? Uh, do you have accountability? You're going to counsel everybody else. Uh, as uh, Heath said last night, there's four guys that he answers to. Do you have that kind of structure? You know, if you don't have accountability and you tell people you need to become accountable, it becomes apparent. And what happens? Why... Besides sinful lust, why are so many pastors getting in trouble uh, morally? They have no accountability. <clears throat> they have no accountability. There's nobody who can speak like Nathan into their life and say, you're the man, you need to stop this. And case after case where adultery doesn't happen, but you know, <clears throat> you don't go out to somebody's house at 11 o'clock at night without somebody. It doesn't look good, okay? And then to start threatening people, oh, you know, you're making rumors about... It shouldn't even be in the mind of a pastor to be compromised. So, uh, discipline. <clears throat> you need to handle people well. Uh, chapter 5, 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. There it is, family. Okay, I know some of us have had bad families, but, but typically speaking, hey, don't yell at an older man. Appeal to him like a father. Treat the older women as what? Mothers. Treat the younger men as brothers and the younger women as sisters. And there's an extra phrase, interestingly. I use this a lot with guys who are caught with pornography. What's the phrase? Sisters in all purity. Why? Because you don't lust after your sister, do you? <clears throat> Most guys get that. Okay. Now, incest does happen, but, but normally, when, that's my sister. <clears throat> you poke her in the eyes, you trip her, you know, and you beat somebody else up who's going to touch your sister, right? Why? Because she's not a woman to be lusted after. She's a sister okay and there's a lot that can be said for that in terms of of the counseling and the relationships how we we treat people as family okay uh, it's five uh, through six two you need to teach proper doctrine including godly life skills chapter six uh, two through ten that's a skill uh, l you need to be personally flee evil and pursue righteousness yeah. Uh, M, you need to be bold and teach in the face of worldly power. Again, a characteristic and skill. And as, uh, you know, that persecution is constantly through this epistle. And you need to be loyal, which is a character trait. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. 
avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So there you have Timothy. Now, Titus is really almost just a repeat. And there's a lot of stuff in there, and i got to be careful not to get caught up in it. I, I almost double over from laughter in chapter 1 when Paul goes, Well, one of their own prophets said, Cretans are what? Lazy beasts and slow bellies. They're gluttons. <clears throat> right. Obviously, he didn't take a Dale Carnegie course, you know, in terms of winning friends and influencing enemies, okay? Uh, but we have the same themes here real quickly in Titus. You must organize and put things in order. Now, Crete is that island in the Mediterranean, and uh, apparently when Paul went through, I mean, he buzzed through, and uh, none of this will just make disciples and leave them unorganized. No, you've got to start, hey, we have to have elders elected, and we have to have elders installed in each of these churches, and these are the things that you have to do. So organize and put things in order. Uh, that The more organized you are as a counselor, the better off your counselees are going to be. Do not make the mistake of thinking, and it's easy to do this, because I am counseling, it's freewheeling. Sermons, you know, Sunday school lessons, they have to be prepared. You know, get an outline and get the material. But this is freewheeling, so I'll just go in there. It's harder in some ways. Why? Because when you get a sermon, you get a passage of Scripture, right? You figure it out in the context of the book and the immediate context and then what the application is, and you try to apply it to everybody in the congregation, young, old, and in between. <clears throat> what do you have to do when someone comes in with counseling? Okay? Uh, I'm not an artist, so don't hold me to it, but... No. Here's Joe or Josephine. They come in to be counseled, right? What do you need to do? You need to know the whole Bible, okay, and how to wisely take these two things and apply it here. See, see how it's, in a sense, it's difficult. You have to take the whole Bible and narrow down to which passages and principles that need to be applied to this indi- these individuals. In a sense, that's a lot harder. Why? Because you have to know the whole Bible and everything that might apply to these individuals. Yeah. So, you must put things in order. And, and boy, to, to orderly know what all the books of the Bible contain, an outline of them, and where the material is, and where to go, and where to pull that out. Now, we're in a computerized age. I hate them. Uh, I think they've replaced pigs in the post-apostolic era. You know, demons ask to go into computers, and then your hard drive crashes, and you run and throw yourself into the heart of the sea. But, uh, okay, you may like computers, okay? Use them, okay? So you can have the information on the computer. Uh, homework assignments, sheets to use, everything else. It's fine, you can use that. However, Paul, though he's used to write the whole New Testament, great scholar, that's primarily an oral world where a lot of people spoke and didn't read and write. And counseling is much like that. It's okay to give sheets. It's okay to ask people to read. But please, if somebody comes in, please don't do this. I exaggerate for effect. But they come in and they're struggling with sin, putting it to death. Go read John Owens. Okay. Don't go tell them read John Owens. You can't read John Owens. You Don't tell me you can even figure out what a PhD with one of those sentences. It's great stuff, okay? you got to pare it down or give them something like uh, uh, The Enemy Within by Lundgaard, you know, who basically said in the intro, hey, this is plagiarism, and I'll straighten it out with John Owens when I get to heaven, but <laughs> this is just his stuff recast, okay? Uh, or to somebody that doesn't read, hand them even a pamphlet. Because it won't get read the next week. You have to figure out not only what the Bible says, but how to how to to get it to that person wisely. Okay. 
So you must organize and put things in order in the midst of conflict. Again, that's a character issue. Same as Timothy. You must have the character you look for in your leaders. What does Paul say? Be an imitator of me as I am of Christ Jesus. Now again, <clears throat> biblical counseling movement is doing a good job of warning of moralism. Praise God. We don't want moralists. We don't want Pharisees. But on the other hand, we're supposed to be like Jesus. And I want to hear that emphasis more. That's my model. Uh, once I'm born again and I confess all that stuff and the Spirit's working me, I should set my goal. I want to be like Jesus. I'm waiting for the day I probably will never hear it. You remind me of Jesus. What higher compliment could I possibly ever have as a human being? You remind me of the Savior. The best I can do is, you sort of reminded me of somebody doing the right thing. Ten seconds. <laughs> okay? But that ought to be my goal, is to be like Jesus. And so the character. Um, D, you must teach godly skill, life skills to your uh, disciples. Uh, e, you must be a, an example. Again, your character in teaching others. And, and the, the two are often joined together, especially when you're dealing with people who oppose you and you have to be patient and kind to try to, to deal with them. You must trust God's grace. That's a character. You must teach well. It's a skill set. Um, 10, declare with authority. Uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, So we're, we're, we're supposed to be teaching people how to be godly. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. <laughs> we want people to believe the Scriptures but live them out. Both. You can't put the cart before the horse. The horse is the Holy Spirit and the gospel, but the cart is good works that people will look and go, wow, that person is something else. So, uh, you must be one who remains, uh, reminds the sheep to obey because of God's grace and to avoid being factious. So that's such... Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Boy, we need to remember that when we come to politicians, right? To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were what? We once were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. But when what? The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things, Titus, so that those who have believed in God may what? Be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrelings about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning once or twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So the pastoral epistles tell you how to handle bad counselees. It's not a personal issue. If you're teaching the truth of God and pointing people to Christ, it's between them and God. Well, quickly then, 2 Timothy. Same things. You must maintain a good conscience. That's your character. You must be loyal to God, the gospel, and your discipler. Being loyal to, to Paul. Somebody in your life taught you biblical counseling or led you to Christ. Now, you must teach the next generation of leaders. Now that's a deliberate sit down. How am I going to do this? What you learn, you need to pass on to somebody else. 
You must do that. D, you must always remember Jesus Christ is the source of salvation and sanctification. That's a, a grace character. You must gently remind people of the truth amidst conflict as God gives repentance to life. You'll face hostility. There it is again. How do you handle that? Your tools are sufficient. Word of God. Well-known passage. You must remain loyal to your calling. Okay? Preach. Prepare for good and bad times. Reprove. Rebuke. And do this with patience. Teaching. You must be, remain loyal to the Lord God. Okay? And you must remain loyal to Him. Now, how do we summarize all this and then I open it for questions? You must be in Christ. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Trinitarian, right? Who trims the branch? The Father. It doesn't say that, but who's the sap? It's the Holy Spirit. Okay? The life flowing of the Spirit of God must lead you what? Deeper into Christ, deeper into obeying the Word, loving the law, writing it on your heart, hungering and thirsting after it so that you grow in grace. That's the character out of which you can say humbly, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul never acts like he's perfect. Hey, I'm the chief of sinners. No doubt about it. But uh, forgetting what's behind, I press on toward the high calling of Christ Jesus. And as many as are mature think this way. And if you disagree on anything, God will show you. But stay up to the level of maturity that you've obtained. So, how do you grow in love? In the fruit of the Spirit. How do you grow in beatitudinal living? Poor in spirit. Mourning over sin. We can go through each of those. The, very, the more you mourn over sin, the better you are. I usually get angry, whether it's my sin or someone else's. The anger of man doesn't you know, work the righteousness that God requires. When's the last time you wept over sin? Just, just wept. I can't believe this person is shooting himself or herself in the foot like this. Why will you die? Why will you die? Look at the prophets. God calls out, why will you die? So that compassionate heart that doesn't slice anything off of holiness or the character of God, but is compassionate, okay? So, you must be an exemplary Christian. Holiness. Uh, we could go on and on. That's a, again, could be a whole uh, lesson. How do you grow in holiness? Separated from the world, more and more in Christ. Christ-likeness and a living model. B, you need extensive knowledge of the Word. Again, that would be a separate seminar. Are you systematically reading through the Scripture? Can you tell me what each book has? Can you tell me the key passages in terms of worry, fear, uh, and you know, whatever? You know, can you get those? Put them in the computer or have them in your head, but you need to know where to go in Scripture to, to, to go that. An extensive knowledge. Again, you've got to know the whole Bible to bring to bear on this particular person. And you've got to be careful because this person may be very much like the last person, but there's enough individual difference that a different passage of Scripture or a different nuance first Thessalonians 5.14. Admonish the unruly, or undisciplined, right? <clears throat> Do what? Encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Everybody has to be dealt with patiently. But you know, some people, and sometimes it's the same person on different weeks, get your rear in gear! You're lazy! I tell a lot of people, one of my favorite passages, Proverbs says, the sluggard puts his hand in the dish and he can't bring it to his own mouth. And I tell you, sir, I'm trying to put your hand into Christ. I'm trying to tell you that this is, this is, this is the bread of life. This is living water. You know, you won't even crack the Bible. Okay? But faint-hearted. 
you've met some of those people, right? Some of you are them. I can't do it. I just can't. Yes, you can. It's not the little red engine that could, you know. It's not just cheerleading. No, no, it's what? You've got Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Bible. You have the church. What more do you want? Don't say that the risen Christ has gypped you. You have everything. You can do this. Come on. I'll walk with you, right? And then there's your somewhat. The, the weak. What do you do then? Just haul their carcass. <laughs> Grab the sucker and pull them over the line. They don't exhort them. Don't try to comfort them. They're in such bad shape. You know, somebody's ready to jump out of a building. You know, it's not the time to start exhorting them, right? This, this is very complex, you know, in terms of counseling. There's a time and place for everything. You know, if Harry is a pyromaniac, he's burnt down five buildings, and he's now caught on the third floor of a burning building, I'd go, you know, Harry, and thus I get to your heart. You know, this is a heart issue. You know, five buildings you burnt down. You know, I'm not even going to repent now or I'm not helping you. That dude's in a burning building. You've got to get him out, okay? He's in bed with some woman. If you don't get him out of bed, forget all the exhortations about the heart and everything. So it's kind of like an EMT. You've got to measure the situation and go there. And that's a measure of skill, okay? Um, read the Word, okay? Uh, read the Word well. Uh, this is a pet peeve of mine at seminaries. Uh, some people read the Scriptures like they are a little amatometry. Read the Scriptures well, okay? Teach them. Reprove, rebuke patiently. Correct. Encourage, train. Uh, this is what we need to do. Well, I'll leave time here for questions. But so, character one, two, knowledge of the scripture, and three, wise application. Those are the basic skills that you need to have to get ready to disciple someone else. Okay. Quick questions before uh, I let you go out for your lunch break. It's there in the password. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm surprised how fast and how well you went through these three books. I didn't think that was possible. Well, okay. Well, well, I don't know. It's That's obviously great. pretty cursory. Yeah. Uh, it's not real well because, I mean, you know, you could preach through this for a long time. Well, it wasn't a question. It was a comment. Said, I can't believe you got through these three books this quickly, this well, or whatever. But it's kind of an overview, Okay. And uh, a lot of preachers are like that. They give good overview, but they got to get down to a particular passage. Yes, ma'am. Okay. The question of, of, of like Titus believing children. Okay, um, the question is, how do children fit into this thing of being an example? That's a very complex. You have people on extreme uh, ends. You have uh, someone, I uh, uh, can mention well-known preachers, uh, theologians who say, if my kid goes into the tank, I'm out of the ministry because of what Titus says. Uh, I've gone through that myself, what happens. Um, there's a difference between children who are living in the home and people who are gone. Once they're gone, they set up their own household. I can't control them. Now, children in the home, remember the, the qualification in Titus is they can't be drunk, you know, or wild dissipation, okay? Um, this is a catch-22. We know that God converts people, not parents. There's no one whether you baptize children or not, whether, you know, whichever approach you take, no one says, I can convert my kids. It's really up to the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I point out is, look at the kings of Israel, Jude and Israel, right? You have good kings that have stinky kids, stinky kings that have converted kids. So it's a mysterious in terms of God's electing grace, I think, and working. So we have to be careful. Uh, the issue is, are the parents responding in a kind, godly way even to rebellious children? So, um, if the church 
disciplines. And again, if you view the kids in the church, if you take a believer's baptism, they're not part of the church, but they come, they still get discipline in terms of people dealing with them in youth group or whatever. If parents are dealing in a biblical manner with those children, I think that that's all that we can really require of them. They are dealing with that rebellion. Now, it's different. If I abuse my kids, then I need to help them accountable. But I know many a godly person. Now, you know me, I'm pretty feisty, okay? So I can point out another person whose kids have gone in the tank and said to me, you know, I always used to wonder about you, Skip. I loved you, I respected you, but I always kept thinking, what are you doing wrong, you know, deep down with the kids, right? Until my kids walked away from the faith. So, so it's that kind of all scripture. Okay. Uh, again, it's not children, but um, Jesus didn't have all 12 follow him. One was a devil. And you can't say it was Jesus' bad leadership that led to Judas's being an apostate. So we have to be real careful. If a parent is godly, deals with his or her child in, in, a, in a proper manner, I think that's what you can require of a person. Now, others will take the position, sorry, you know, you have a child that walks away from the faith, you're disqualified from ministry. Practically speaking, what I know, I think that would disqualify a good 80, 90% of the ministers that I know that are godly men. My wife wrote a chapter in Elise's book, one of her letter, lesser known, uh, The Afternoon of Life. What do you do with adult children who have walked away from the Lord? And uh, many a pastor has said that's been helpful. You know, so you can talk to my wife. She's here at the conference. Talk about that. Good question. Yes, sir. So, I mean, the pastorals are clear in terms of the, the character requirements of leadership. So how transparent do you make that, in, in, I guess, in the council? I mean, I, how, I guess how transparent do you recommend you make that okay. within your counseling sessions? Excellent question, Todd. Uh, Todd said how, <clears throat> okay, these are the qualifications. The scripture are clear. How do you deal with that? How transparent are you in counseling? I'll give you a silly example. I never tell kids who are struggling with pornography and masturbation and don't care that I had a problem. Why? Because if I say I had a problem with you know masturbation and, and pornography as a kid, you know what they're going to do. They're going to go through, oh, pastor. <clears throat> they're not struggling. If a guy <clears throat> comes in and says, I can't, I can't beat this, there's no way I can. I go, look, I can personally testify, and I can give you dozens of other guys who have, have beat this by God's grace. See, that's, that's the difference. Wisdom, wisdom dictates. Okay, I'm up front with people at this point about having kids that have walked away from the Lord. Not because I'm proud of it, but because I think I've done everything I can. Okay, in, in our context, in terms of Presbyterian context, a believing Presbyterian, Presbyterians can be Christians. You need to know that. <laughs> my first pastor, it took me six years to convince my fundy brothers that I actually could be born again and be a Presbyterian. You know? <clears throat> uh, but So we consider them part of the church. So the bottom line is, okay, they get discipline. <laughs> Can't take communion because they haven't made a confession of faith. But the point is, you know, they get discipline. And if you're a Presbyterian or do baptize kids, what else can you do? I mean, what good is it to be part of the church if you don't get discipline? So you, you take them to the elders, and, and that's the way we always handled it. When it got beyond a child you know, disobeying and really rebelling against us, we'd go to the elders and say, look, this is, this is where we're having. So I follow that into the counseling. And I, I'm too old anymore to have any pride. So Scipione's teaching method is, here's how I screwed up the first 10 years of being a pastor. You avoid that, and you'll be 10 years ahead of the curve. Works. Works all my interns. So, but you have to be, you know what I'm saying? You have to be really wise. You don't want to cast pearls before swine. And that's why I wouldn't tell a young kid, oh, I struggle with, you know, pornography and masturbation. Because they'll just go out and they'll blow it off and laugh it off and say it's not a big deal. So that's, and I don't normally share the good stuff. (laughs) 
my dictum is, hey, I'll tell you what my sins are, you avoid these. You know, and then let, let the positive be there if the person knows and experiences that. Okay, uh, let me pray real quick and let you go. Um, I'm going to be here uh, the rest of today and tonight, and if you have questions, you can talk with me then, okay? Father in heaven, we come to you. <clears throat> Lord, uh, who's sufficient for these things? I'm not. Uh, I can't become like Christ uh, apart from the work of your Spirit. So please bless us, and yet encourage us, Lord, that it's not some uh, post-doctoral, <clears throat> post-ascension, post-glorification position that we have to be in before we begin to help other people. But Lord, help us to be honest about this, to develop the character, first of all, and then the skills to disciple others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.